Welcome to Embargoed, intelligent talk about sanctions, export controls, and all things international trade. I'm one of your hosts, Tim O'Toole, and with me today is my friend, colleague, and co-host, Laura Deegan. Laura, welcome. Hi. Glad to be here and glad to have recently joined the firm. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, for those of you who haven't met Laura before, Laura is a, a new addition to Miller Chevalier. She came over recently from the Office of Foreign Assets Control, where she was working for a few years and has had extensive in- experience in the sanctions industry before that. So we're really lucky to have her and lucky to have her on the podcast. Um, so welcome again. Thank you. So today we decided to have an emergency podcast, um, which has is taking place after a relatively you know long for embargoed hiatus. We've been off for the last two months or so because it has been extremely busy in other parts of life and work and that sort of thing. But we're coming back to a regular schedule, and we wanted to jump right in because we did have a very interesting and important development in Venezuela on October 18th of, of last week, and uh, we thought that it was important enough to just get on the get on the recording, get on, the, go to the recording studio and start talking about what happened in Venezuela. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Laura to talk a little bit about kind of the three things that OFAC did last week as part of, I think, the negotiations that are going on with respect to the elections in Venezuela and, and the progress towards democratic elections. Um, and so now I'll turn it over to you, Laura, and then we'll talk a little bit about each one of these three developments. Yeah, very, very exciting uh, time to be working in this space as, you know, we've seen some change and some sanctions relief in regards to Venezuela um, after having had, um, you know, a more uh, restrictive program for the past couple of years. So last week, um, on the 18th specifically, OFAC uh, came out with um, frequently asked questions and additional guidance um, that they were issuing essentially um, certain Venezuela sanctions relief um, in exchange for uh, an announcement from uh, the government of Venezuela um, that they would be engaging in, in sort of free and fair elections and certain commitments that they'd made to the Venezuelan opposition government um, as well in terms of the 2020, 20, uh, 2024 Venezuela elections. So as part of this relief, we saw OFAC issue um, a few general licenses, and there's really three key ones um, to be concerned with here. And so the first we have Venezuela General License 44, um, which authorizes all transactions related to oil and gas sector operations in Venezuela. And um, as part of that, uh, authorizes transactions ordinarily incident and necessary uh, to financial transactions with certain blocked Venezuelan banks. So, so for U.S. persons to be able to process transactions through these certain uh, blocked banks. Um, and that one's really, you know, important because uh, obviously there's been um, a lot of uh, sanctions on the government of Venezuela, including PDVSA the past few years. And PDVSA itself is a blocked person. Um, and a lot of companies had honestly pulled out of uh, oil and gas operations in Venezuela. Um, and so that general license really is a, a big, you know, move forward in terms of what U.S. persons can do, which we'll kind of touch on a little later. Um, the other general licenses uh, to be aware of are uh, GL3I and GL, GL9H. 
Um, and these are iterations of previous general license is issued before, um, which had allowed U.S. persons to divest certain government of Venezuela or PDVSA issued bonds um, to non-U.S. persons. So it, is, it effectively banned secondary trading in the market for these previously issued bonds. Uh, GL3I and 9H uh, now authorize that secondary trading. So U.S. persons uh, can purchase uh, bonds on the annexes to each of these licenses, um, you know, which is also a big change because uh, before the iteration of this license, U.S. persons were really cut out of some of the discussions related to restructuring of Venezuelan debt. Um, so that that's a, a big one as well, which we'll touch on. And then the third one, uh, the, the fourth general license, which we'll touch on, is Venezuela General License 43. Um, and that authorizes transactions involving Minerva, which is Venezuela's state-owned gold mining company. Um, and so this one is another one like General License 44, um, which authorizes, you know, really these transactions involving the state-owned company um, that were not previously authorized in, in, in an attempt really to, I think, um, kind of uh, try to normalize some business relations between the U.S. and Venezuela. And what's interesting about this general license as opposed to 44 is that this general license is not time limited. While as general license 44 related to Venezuela um, actually expires in six months to be able to give uh, the U.S. government uh, time to see if the government of Venezuela really follows through on its commitments made to the Venezuelan opposition. Yeah, I mean, these were big developments that we were kind of expecting for a while. There was some noise about it. There was the Chevron general license that came out. Uh, I guess it's probably been you know close to a year ago now. But they were related to the negotiations that are going on in Mexico City about elections in Venezuela. Um, and this seems to be kind of the 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 first major step towards easing sanctions in exchange for progress in connection with those negotiations what and and let's kind of work backwards i i think with respect to the general license 43 with respect to the the um bond you know which dealt with the you know the the state owned gold company and with respect to the the other two general licenses that dealt with the certain the the secondary markets for certain bonds I think, you know, what there is to say, I think you've mostly already said it in the sense that, you know, the GL43 is not time limited. So it is a big change and one that I think will, it you know, can pretty easily induce reliance interests and the other GLs are not time limited either. And if you want to figure out which secure, which bonds that they affect, you can go to the, to the list in connection with, you know, to the appendix in connection with the general licenses. And so the, the, the the ramifications of those GLs are pretty easy to understand. You know, the gold sector now in Venezuela is basically open for business. You still have to be careful, but it's it's changed and at least for the foreseeable future. But but I think what I wanted to focus on more now is is GL forty four, because you know that involves the Venezuelan oil and gas sector. And given that Venezuela has the world's largest uh, petroleum reserves, it's a big deal that PDVSA was on the SDM list um, as of October 17th with no meaningful, uh, you know, 
general licenses or other authorizations that would allow transactions with Petadesa, except for maybe you know the Chevron joint venture general license from you know a few months or maybe a year ago. Can you just talk a little bit about kind of how broad this general license is? Because some of the language in the general license struck me as extremely broad, but then some of the other language in the general license struck me as somewhat unusual. So I want to walk through some of the nuances of the of GL44 to, to get some discussion or to get some idea of how big a change this is. Yeah, I mean, one, one thing I think that, you know, Tim, we had previously discussed is if you look at the authorization in General License 44, and specifically, you know, the chunk of this is in um, paragraph A, um, it authorizes all transactions um, essentially that are related to oil and gas sector operations in Venezuela. And this um, oil and gas sector operations sort of as a sector is not necessarily a term that OFAC has defined in terms of Venezuela and really in terms of other sanctions regulations. So if you look to other uh, programs such as Belarus or Ukraine, um, you know, you see targeted sanctions um, on the energy sector of those countries. Obviously, with Iran, you see petroleum sanctions, and then you have related definitions of what's petroleum, um, what's energy sector. Um, but really, we don't see a true definition of, of what is oil and gas operations in OFAC regulations. Um, and, and I think, you know, what we can look to is there are certain FAQs that existed prior to this general license that really talked about Petavasa's oil and gas uh, operations in terms of a Chevron general license, et cetera. And so I think you can look to some of those FAQs to really figure out what oil and gas operations is. But I also think that there's a big argument that the use of the terms related to is not something that OFAC uses often in general licenses. It's usually your ordinarily incident and necessary to language. We've seen related to language in other general licenses, such as um, AgMed-related general licenses and things like that, where OFEC is really meant to authorize a large swath of activity. And I think there's a good argument here that, you know, a lot of Petavase's business is arguably related to oil and gas uh, operations, so that U.S. persons might get a little comfort from um, you know, engaging in business with Petavasa and knowing that their activity would be covered under this general license. Yeah, I mean, that's what struck me, you know, on, on the reading of it was was both of the things that you just talked about, Laura. One was the related to language, which, as you pointed out, has been, you know, used increasingly when OFAC wants to encourage activity in a particular area. And then, um, you know, and, and is broader than the ordinarily incident and necessary to. It, it may mean the same thing in, in, in practice, but it certainly seems, it indicates an intent to go more broadly. And then this oil and gas sector operations um, also strikes more broadly, than, it, it, maybe not as broadly as the energy sector, but it certainly goes pretty broad in terms of the oil and gas sector sector operations in Venezuela covers a lot of things. I guess as I was read as I was getting ready for the podcast, I was reading this closely and, and you know, it, it also intentionally seems to go broader than just Petavesa. So so Petavesa is mentioned explicitly, it, it, I think to make clear that this includes Petavesa, but it's all transactions prohibited that are related to the oil and gas sector operations in Venezuela. As a practical matter, many of those are going to involve PDVSA, but you don't you know you know you don't have to have PDVSA involved in the transaction for this GL to apply. Um, 
and it you know and it expressly carves out new investment as well so you don't have any questions about that and as you mentioned from a us person standpoint you know a lot of the questions that we'd had in the past as to you know are there things there's a legal services general license but it's the normal GL for legal services. So it's relatively narrow with respect to what lawyers can do. I think this GL from a you know, legal services perspective certainly would allow U.S. persons to provide legal services that are in support of all of these items on the list and really any activities that are related to the oil and gas sector operations in Venezuela, because those would be transactions that would otherwise be prohibited that are now related to oil and gas sector operations. So just from a legal services perspective, I think that this has really increased what lawyers, you know, U.S. lawyers could do with respect to, to things, to transactions in Venezuela. And I suspect there's lots of other, um, you know, professions and service providers and that sort of thing that would be within the scope of this this general license, even though they're, you know, their their business isn't limited to oil and gas sector operations because if what if the work that you're doing is related to those operations, you you were you were prohibited on October 17th, and now mm-hmm. you're not. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you could think of a whole host of other types of services, construction, um, et cetera, where those services might be cons- uh, covered under the GL. W- one thing I did want to mention, because you touched a little bit on new investment, something else that's a little bit interesting about this general license is you can see, you know, there are exceptions to the general license, which wouldn't allow new investment uh, in the sector by a person located or an entity owned or controlled uh, by a person located in the Russian Federation, which is obviously very interesting because I think it shows a policy message here that, you know, we're trying to normalize relations with Venezuela if we can, um, we are still tough on Russia. Um, that that came across to me as the message there. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think there's a policy, there's a, a broader policy that I think this reflects, which is that the U.S. I think is trying to, to the extent that the, the sanctions have demonstrably changed policy, at least to some extent, in a in a better direction from the US perspective they're trying to bring venezuelan oil back onto the markets but at the same time um have venezuela have more US facing um and potentially more non russia facing um counterparts than than were taking place previously and, and i think that's why you see the carve out for um persons located in the russian federation or even entities owned or controlled by persons located in the Russian Federation. Few other carve outs on this, you know, they still do carve out a couple of um, Venezuelan banks, including the central bank um, from from the the transactions. And then also, um, you know, the the debtor equity to the Venezuelan government is also carved out from this. So one thing that jumped out at me is that, you know, when in dealing with the the uh, the sectoral sanctions in the the Russian pro in in the, the Ukraine related Russian program, one thing that often came up, and I guess there's some of those in the 14024 program as well. But one thing that also comes up in business transactions is, you know, can the provision of you know if you provide goods and you know there's delayed payment, is that a form of debt and potentially you know, it is here. So you do have to think hard about whether those those 
prohibitions would apply in that sort of debt context. But otherwise, I think most of the sanctions that would apply to these transactions appear to be mm-hmm. lifted. Yeah. And I think, you know, on that point, I think if you are making investments relating to the oil and gas sector involving PDVSA, you just also have to be careful to structure those investments so that it doesn't really look like debt. Um, you know, that, you know, it's it's not like you're getting, you know, loaning funds uh, in order to get um, interest payments or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's really the two the two big caveats that I would give to, to companies that are thinking of kind of going now into the oil and gas sector in Venezuela are, are you know, make sure there's no Russian persons or companies involved and make sure that you've thought about the debt, you know, the no new debt issue um well and then the big the big thing that you, that i that i would want to talk to people about and i know i think you've already touched on it a little bit uh, this thing only lasts six months and so so you know if i'm a company thinking about going into this oil and gas sector um in venezuela and i know that next april this could all go away i mean can you walk us through a little bit the thought process that companies may have in terms of why would they want to rely on this when it could otherwise go away in six months? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. You know, I'm also coming from a place of having worked in several financial institutions, uh, especially during the JCPOA era. And um, a lot of institutions, likewise, with Venezuela and companies had uh, pulled out of Venezuela. They were de-risking on a large scale because of some of these complex sanctions and how much the government in Venezuela really um, imperviates uh, a lot of Venezuelan economy activity. And um, so I, I think you might see businesses and financial institutions who are processing transactions um, for for example, international and U.S. businesses being a bit hesitant at first, perhaps to, um, you know, want, wanting to go back into Venezuela. Um, but but I think, you know, on the other hand, and we've discussed this, um, you know, if, if relations with Venezuela um, turn positive and there's a positive change in Venezuela in terms of the 2024 elections, uh, companies also don't want to be the last one in. So, you know, they want to get the, the really, um, they want to get in first to be able, uh, you know, to say they had done that. And, and, um, you know, I think that if you see hesitancy on a part of U.S. or international companies to get in there, there's always going to be that fear. On the other hand, um, you know, I think that companies do have to watch closely what happens with Venezuela over the next six months. I mean, I think already we're seeing in the news reports that uh, the government had supposedly taken down websites related to opposition voting polling, um, and there had been allegations of uh, voter fraud in terms of uh, opposition uh, primaries that happened recently. So I, I think, you know, you want to be mindful if you're a company looking to go back into Venezuela of, of what's going on really on a, on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis, um, really with the hope that if you are engaging in transactions under this license, um, that relations uh, continue to improve. Yeah, I think this is, you know, to start with, if you're thinking of going in for 
to this area, I think a Google alert on Venezuelan elections is is imperative because that's going to be critical to how long you can stay. And I think, you know, you just talked about kind of the bad news on this is that we're already seeing signs that potentially the government is doing things that would not be consistent with free and fair elections coming up. Um, you can be sure that OFAC is watching for those signs. And even if it weren't, you can be sure that the opposition is going to make sure that OFAC knows about the signs if, if that were to happen. Um, although I think there is a balance, right? Because I think that um, it's in Venezuela's interest generally to, to want this industry to get back up off the ground if you can do it in a way that doesn't run into the problems that, that happened before with respect to what the US perceived as the Maduro government essentially um, funding itself based on the, the oil wealth. But but I think that, you know, on the other hand, if the opposition were to win and take over the government, I think it would much rather that PDVSA be in a place that it will, you know, potentially be six months from now or a year from now uh, and, and have a, a functioning kind of much more highly functioning oil industry in Venezuela than, than happened you know, during the, the sanctions period. I guess the the, the question, the, the good news on this side, at least I view it as good news, again, it's more tea leaf reading, is, you know, not only does, does the opposition have some reliance interests, I, I think the U.S. government does too. I think it's invested in this process in the sense that it issued this general license in a way that I, I assume that they want it to succeed. So as long as things don't deteriorate too much, I would think that it would be renewed. Now that 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 is not a certainty, but I would guess that the presumption from you know the policymakers and OFAC would be if the status quo basically continues, you know, with some ebbs and flows, that the GL will be renewed. If the status quo changes materially, then this all could go away in six months. I mean, what are your thought about thoughts about that, about kind of where the policymakers would be if we're basically in the same spot six months from now? I, I think you're right. You know, your inclination is right that if really there haven't been material changes and, you know, there haven't been any um, huge action by the government really um, sabotaging uh, events up until the 2024 Venezuela election that you'll see probably a renewal of this general license. I think that what then uh, companies will have to look out for, to be honest, is what happens in the 2024 U.S. election, um, which we talked about a little bit, um, because if, as you know, if you've also been like following the news in relation to this sanctions relief, uh, you would know that there are members of the Republican Party who are not um, very happy with. Uh, these general licenses. So in the fact that we do have a change in party in terms of the White House and, you know, um, uh, other areas of government, um, you know, you could see a reversal or a revocation of this type of relief at that point. Uh, so that is just, you know, it, it's, it's really meant to say that uh, companies just really need to be on notice for the next, you know, six to 12 months, depending on what happens. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of a, a good bottom line here is that this creates opportunity. And as you pointed out, Laura, it's opportunity that if, if you get in now, the, the, you you may, and this lasts, you, you may be very glad to be the first in. And, and if you're not the first in, you may be very sad about that. On the other hand, it is very precarious because not only, you know, 
do we have to, to wonder whether the general license will be renewed six months from now? And again, that's kind of a guess. I think it's you know an educated guess that there will be a presumption in favor of renewal absent some bad material circumstance, but that's there's no guarantee even of that. And then even if the general license is reviewed or renewed for another six months, if a new administration comes in in uh, in in uh, January of 2025, and it's not, you know, it's not the Biden administration, I think there is a strong chance that this general license would go away completely if Maduro is still in power in Venezuela, uh, regardless of, you know, what has been done to create fairness of the election. And even if I, I would hazard a guess that even if Maduro wins a free and fair election, um, that a new party might think about lifting this general general license if there's any discussion that um, Maduro was responsible for for some sort of election irregularities in the Venezuela elections. So that's just a wild guess, but I think it just creates, you know, there's uncertainty with respect to this general license from whether even the, the current administration would renew it. But there's a lot more uncertainty as to whether or not a, a new and different administration would renew it, um, regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's completely right, you know, but look, this is sort of like a huge, a huge step in terms of the program and just the, the breadths of the breadth of the language in the general license. And then the other relief offered in terms of uh, secondary trading in, in GOV or PDVSA debt, I think is also a, a huge step in terms of relations between the US and Venezuela. And, you know, I think with all general licenses, usually there's obviously sometimes a lot of policy messaging behind it, where it's not just that the U.S. government is authorizing certain activity, but, you know, there could be a push uh, to U.S. and international companies uh, to renew their relations with Venezuela, especially in a time, you know, where uh, there's a war in Ukraine um, and, you know, there's a lot of prohibitions relating to Russian uh, oil. Um, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, there there's reasons for the U.S. to put out relief such as this right now. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I think we'll leave it there on the on general license 44 anything to say about gold that we haven't already said yeah i mean the the one thing that was really interesting not so much in the general license um but in an ofac faq is that uh, so there are there are authorities in the venezuela program that allow the u.s to target uh persons operating in the gold sector um, and so what uh, the FAQ uh, had said is that um, uh, the U.S. doesn't essentially intend to operate persons solely for operating in the gold sector of the Venezuelan economy, but that relief is also contingent. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. I thought that was interesting. It was a like, yeah, there's this broad designation authority, but we're not going to use it now that we've got this in play. So it's another kind of kind of like within connection with General License 44, where they use this broad language. Here, the language in the GL isn't as broad, but that FAQ was basically mm -hmm. a, a message that the Venezuelan gold sector is open for business for the, at least as long as GL 43 is in place. Yeah. And the fact that it's not time limited, you know, I think that's, that's a much different risk for anyone, any company that's looking to get involved with Minervan. Yep. All right. Well, what about what about the secondary market for these bonds, um, the GL three and nine? Talk about that a little bit more. 
Yeah. So like I said, you know, that there was that period um, after 2017 and there were bans on on, on secondary trading um, uh, and primary trading in certain government of Venezuela and PDVSA debt. Um, the previous general licenses, like I said, had allowed divestment of those bonds to non-U.S. persons, but really you were cutting U.S. investors out of the market of trying to gobble up Venezuelan distressed debt and, and taking away from them in some sense the ability uh, to negotiate with the Venezuelan government when it came down to um, settling its own debt. Um, so a lot of people, you know, when when the sanctions related to secondary trading were in place, um, were really pushing on the U.S. government to issue relief in, in the form of really what this general license does, which allows U.S. persons to go uh, and buy on the secondary market, you know, bonds in the annexes to these general licenses. And I think we've already seen um, impact in the market because the uh, bond prices of these particular bonds have um, risen uh, quite fast in the past week. And I think we've seen some positive news from the Venezuelan Creditors Committee. You know, they're welcoming this relief because they really think it'll help when it comes time to try to renegotiate uh, Venezuelan debt. All right. Well, so my bottom line on, on all of this is that it's early, but I'm pretty optimistic. Uh, but it's there's a lot of new opportunity out there in Venezuela that didn't exist last week, but it is complicated and precarious. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that that's all true. You know, we still have Venezuelan sanctions in place. So just because we have this relief, uh, you know, still should worry about other designated parties in Venezuela. So uh, hopefully the relief will continue, but TBD. Yep. And those the general licenses really do emphasize that there are other prohibitions that are out there and they haven't been lifted. Yeah. So, so, you know, particularly in the, the oil and gas sector. So be careful if you're going to go there. But not, at least now, the, the, the answer to the question of, you know, what can we do in Venezuela has some things that um, U.S. companies might be interested in doing on, on it, even if it is still complicated. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, and, you know, to this new emergency podcast on Venezuela, we will see you next time. And in the meantime, um, thank you for joining us, Laura, in the first of what I hope is many or many appearances on this podcast. Um, and stay sanctions free. Produced by HeartCast Media.